Good morning, church. Fantastic to have you here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John, Gospel of John. We will be in chapter 1. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would illuminate for us the words of Scripture this morning. We might be molded and shaped by them and through them. It's in your precious Son, Jesus' name, that we do pray. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God bore witness about him and cried out, this, is, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Heavenly Father, we again come to You this morning as we turn again in our, our yearly calendar, our yearly life, to the anticipation of the coming of Your Son Jesus into this world. We thank You that that you sent your Son, God, to dwell among his creation, to be a light in the darkest places, and to be the word that we might hear and know and be saved. 
it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. So, today we start Advent. Now, the last couple years we've been using that term Advent because we've been following loosely a liturgical calendar and the liturgical calendar uses the term Advent. This year, we're not actually doing that, but we still need to use the word Advent because it better represents what we're actually going to be looking at. In the past, I have said, actually a few times, pretty much every time we come around to the Christmas season, that Christmas is, for lack of a better way of saying it, the most boring, year, boring time of the year to preach. And I say that because our fixation, especially within 21st century American culture, is the birth of Jesus. Some of you might be going, well, yeah, that's what Christmas is. Historically and theologically, though, that's sort of inadequate. It's not incorrect, but it's inadequate. And it's inadequate because... When we talk about the birth of Jesus, what we're really talking about is not the birth of some special character, some new character in the grand narrative of human history, but is God himself being incarnate into human form. And that idea is so much bigger than just baby Jesus lying in a manger. And when our focus is baby Jesus lying in a manger, and that's what we need to preach, then, then really we have three passages of Scripture to go to. We've got Luke, we've got Matthew, and maybe we got Isaiah. A small little section in Isaiah. But when we, when we back it up and we get the full picture of what it means for Jesus to be born into this world, it's really the whole of the Bible that we can pull from. When we're thinking about about, about it accurately or properly, and we're thinking about the incarnation of God himself, it really widens what this is about. And, and for the first time, I think, in the seven years we've been at church, I'm fairly excited to preach Christmas. Not that that really matters to you, but it matters to me. This kind of came about because God has a sense of humor, I think, he likes to do things without me planning things, and, and, or maybe despite, in, in spite of my planning. We've, we've covered Romans, which is a letter of Paul. We just finished Philippians, which is a letter of Paul. And what I've kind of been thinking about is, what are we going to do in 2020? What are we going to study in 2020? And I, I, I don't want 2020 to be as, uh, as, as 2019 was. Not that 2019 was bad, but in 2019... We studied Habakkuk. We went through Habakkuk and we went through through Philippians. And the remaining eight months of the year, we were kind of all over the place. And, and I've said this a thousand times, but the primary way I like to preach or that I think is the best way for me to be preaching is through a book of the Bible. So I kind of wanted to avoid that. And so I'm like, okay, what books of the Bible can we study in 2020? We need to be at least some in the New Testament. Well, we just we just covered Paul. We gotta we gotta go to somebody else because somebody else. There's other writers in the New Testament, not just Paul. Paul's great, but we've kind of hit Paul. 
We're studying James right now in our Wednesday night Bible study. So there goes James. So, so 13 letters of Paul. There goes James. We've studied uh, Hebrews more recently than, than not. So that's out. We did First and Second Peter in our Wednesday night Bible study. Really, it leaves John and, and Jude and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I was like, let's do a gospel. Let's do a gospel. Then I was trying to figure out a way to, to pull John into Christmas. Because it's not a birth story in John, right? It's not a birth story in John. And there's this idea in, in studying the Bible properly that, that I was taught whenever I was going through school. And, and then I've always known, but just until this week, really, didn't really grasp it the way that I think I should have, that all four gospel writers have an Advent story. They don't have a, they don't have a birth story, but all four gospel writers have an Advent story. An Advent, all Advent is, is the arrival of a notable person. So all four gospel writers, rightfully so, start their gospel by introducing us to this notable character who has just arrived on the scene. Advent. So instead of saying Christmas this year, we're going to say Advent. Semantics, but. So as we're looking at John, we're going to look at the first 18 verses the next three weeks, and then we'll creep into what we would call the body of John's letter from verses 19 to 28, uh, the Sunday before Christmas. Again, not that you need to know that now, but we're going to look at what John, it, what John puts in here as his prologue. This would be much the same as Luke's birth account that it seems to be something that when you take it by itself has value and it's attached to the rest of the gospel so that as we go through the rest of the gospel, we get the whole, we get the whole story. We get the whole picture. So John is doing something extremely important in these first 18 verses. He's introducing us to this notable person. That's what Luke is doing in the birth story. He just does it through the lens of baby Jesus. He, so does Matthew, again, through the baby Jesus. And so does Mark. But Mark does it by talking a little bit more about John than the other gospel writers. Do. John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, who is the author of the gospel of John. So we have this Advent story that maybe is a little bit different than what we're used to, but not because it's historically a different approach to Advent, but just currently a different approach to Advent. Through church history, John has been one of the things that we come to when we look at the uh, introduction to this character, Jesus. I think one of the reasons why we fixate our attention upon the birth of Jesus is because we like birth stories, right? I mean, depending on who you are, obviously it varies from person to person. But and women, generally speaking, generally speaking, women get more excited when they hear about a friend who just had a baby or is going to have a baby. Right? But I think I think men, even in this room, might might admit that too. Maybe I can, as a parent myself. Maybe ten years ago, before Elise was born, I didn't care nearly as much, but I still cared when my 
when my sister had her baby, I was really excited. We, we like these stories, and I think this is why we kind of tend towards the birth of Jesus. We like that, but again, that's not, that's not it. It's not the full picture. So we're going to look at the first three verses this morning, and we're going to get in our introduction to John's, uh, to, to John and our introduction to Jesus, introduction to John as a letter and our introduction to Jesus as the man. Two things before we jump into it, though, that we have to know as we look to study this passage. There is two assumptions that are going on that, that will, will help you understand your Bibles maybe a little bit better. Number one, uh, this book is not like history today. I would actually argue that the Bible is not actually a history text. It is historical, but it is not a history text. So I'm reading a book about Winston Churchill right now. In, in 21st century, modern historical accounts, the, the idea is somebody just walked up to this book in the library, pulled it off the shelf, opened it up and started reading it and doesn't know anything. Now, we are only 50-some years removed from Winston Churchill and his, you know, Winston Churchill is the prime minister of England during, during World War II. If you don't know your history very well. So just imagine you don't know anything about Winston Churchill. You pull this book down, you start to read, you can learn everything you need to know about Winston Churchill. And this is 21st century history. This is what we do. We write from start to finish with the assumption my audience knows Nothing, or at least very, very little. The Gospels are very different. The Bible is very different in general. The Bible already assumes that you've read it. Especially the New Testament, and especially the Gospels. When John writes his Gospel, he's writing to people that he is the pastor of, who he has been telling this story to for many years. So when they hear the Gospel of John first written down, this is not a new story. My argument then being, the case that I would make at that point, is that you cannot actually read a Gospel for the first time and know anything about what the Gospel is teaching. Because there are so many places within the Gospels where you actually have to know what happens down the road in order to understand what's currently happening. When Jesus tells Peter that, that he is the Christ and that he's going to die and be raised again in three days, we know, because we know the rest of the story, that he's right and that Peter is the bonehead when he contradicts Jesus. And we recognize that what's happening in that passage is a, a, a shifting of the focus. The same thing is true as we go through John's gospel, especially as we go through his prologue. John assumes that you know the end of the story. And John also assumes that you have some understanding of who Jesus is, not just his earthly ministry, his death and resurrection, but who Jesus is as what we would call the second person of the Trinity. Now, I'm going to try to cover the Trinitarian theology in about three minutes, which is an impossible task. But I feel that it's necessary for us to understand the first three verses of John chapter 1. 
So Trinitarian theology at its absolute smallest sentence, in its absolute smallest form, is that we believe there is one God in three persons. One God, three distinct persons. Not one God in three different forms through history. Not, not in the Old Testament it was, it was God the Father, and then in the New Testament it's God the Son, and then in church age it's God the Spirit. That's not what we believe. We believe that all three persons have existed for all eternity uh, in perfect unity with each other. And all three persons of the Trinity, what we mean by persons is not like you and I are persons, people, physical people, but all, all three have, have purpose and role within the Godhead, Trinity, God. God, the Father, is what we call God in the New Testament, or the first person of the Trinity in the New Testament. There's so many avenues that we could go down. I'm trying to keep it simple, maybe making it more complex. But who we see as God the Father in the New Testament, we call the first person of the Trinity, and and has been uh, is is the is the in in some sense the essence of who God is. Again, that falls short as you study deeper into it, but it's the essence of who God is. It's kind of the the starting point of who God is. It's what it's what all of the attributes of God where all the attributes of God start with God the Father. And then there's God the Son, or the second person of the Trinity, which we probably shouldn't call God the Son, because then we misunderstand that God the Son is not in the Old Testament. We maybe could call the second person of the Trinity God the Word, or God the manifestation of the Father on the earth or in creation. So when we read in the Old Testament, because we believe that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has existed for all time, and it's only at his birth that he puts on flesh and becomes the incarnate God, which just simply means he becomes man. Then in the Old Testament, we see Christ, but we see him not in, in human form, but we see him in word form. And so Genesis chapter 1, we read again and again and again, chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 9, 11, 14, so on and so on. Where it says, and God said, that's the word of God, which really isn't that hard to, to see that, right? That God said, that's the word of God. That's the second person of the Trinity. And the third person of the Trinity, or, or the Holy Spirit, is really our teacher. So from God is his, his essence, his attributes, who he is, that are then expressed to us through the person of Jesus, through the word of God in Jesus, and then taught to our hearts and to our minds through the work of the Spirit. It's, it's as simple as Trinitarian theology as I, can, as I can give you. So then we get to John chapter one. And again, I do think that we have to have at least a fundamental understanding of that principle in order to understand what John is saying here. He again believes that his audience already has some foundation of who God is and what the story is. This is not new for the, for the audience. So John is going to introduce us to this this important person. He's going to introduce us to Christ. And he does so by giving us four pictures. In the beginning was the Word. And again, that's Jesus. 
Jesus in what we would call his pre-incarnate self. The expression of who God is in creation itself. In the beginning was the word. And what this means is that Christ is preeminent. That he existed before existence could be something that exists. Track that. So before history starts, before, before the world was created, before all of what we know today, all of what we know today was in existence. Christ was. And not just, not just another person of the Trinity, but the idea of Christ the Savior from the very beginning. Every time God speaks, every time God speaks, he reveals to us himself. And what God is to us is a saving God. So in the beginning was the word. So before, before anything began, Christ was. Now, Christ was not incarnate at that point. He was not man at that point. That is something that is unique and different. There is a fixed point where God becomes man, and that's a different story that we'll get into as we go along. The Word exists from before the beginning. And it says, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, the pre-existent Christ. And the Word was with God. Was in relationship with God. And as we'll learn as we go through the Gospel of John, and what we're supposed to know now, is that this relationship with God the Father is not a, uh, is not a broken relationship. But it's a perfect and pure relationship. One that is actually in itself complete. We as, as, as people, we're constantly seeking to, to find fulfillment in, in, in things and something. Maybe we build a business and think that if I can build a business and achieve a certain level of, of success, I will be fulfilled. Maybe I, if I build a relationship with, with somebody, uh, with, with a significant person in my life, then I will be fulfilled. Or maybe I can actually build a thing and that thing will make me happy. But that's not who God is. See, God creates mankind, creates the world, creates everything in it, not because He needs something, but because in Himself He is complete and in Himself He is creative. This is what we learn in Genesis chapter 1. As we compare it to all the other, as all the other creation myths of of, of the gods creating out of necessity or the gods creating out of war or the gods creating out of chaos. God creates because God is creative and, and God is, is able to do that because he's God. God is in perfect relationship with himself, not in need of man. So who is this notable person who we are anticipating the arrival? He is pre-existent. He is in perfect relationship with the Father. And third, the Word was God. <coughs> this is God Himself entering into human history. This is what, as we'll learn as we go through John chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is the Creator, the Sustainer, the, 
the, the essence of creation itself enters into human history. God is, the word is pre-existent. The word is in perfect relationship with the Father. And the word is God. Verse 2, we kind of get a little bit of a repetition to solidify those, I think, most important truths that he was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Again, if we think about this just rationally or logically, if we believe that Christ is the word of God, God speaking into human history, it doesn't really surprise us when we turn to Genesis chapter 1 and we see, and God said, and there's the word. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be land, and there was land. Let there be, let there be man, and there was man. Everything that God made was made through Christ, was made through the word. So we anticipate the arrival of this notable person, this notable person, Jesus. The notable person is pre-existent. That before God created mankind, before God created the earth, before God even, even, even spoke you into existence, he planned, planned. And it was part of his being to rescue you. I think that's probably one of the most staggering things and one of the hardest things to actually wrap our minds around. I think if I was to build something and, and knew before I built it that it was broken or that it would become broken, I probably wouldn't build that thing. And that's exactly what God does. Because that's exactly who God is. He's pre-existent. He's in perfect relationship. He's in perfect relationship. I think there's two things that we see with this. I think there's two things that apply to us as we think about God's perfect relationship within himself. Number one, the separation that happens so that Christ can come to this earth. He left his place on high to enter into the very thing that he created to save the thing that he created. Again, a staggering reality about how much God loves us. A staggering reality about how much God loves us. But the other thing that's amazing when we think about Christ being in perfect relationship with the Father and in perfect relationship with the Spirit is that we, we as his followers are then invited in to this relationship. Prayer is, is often misrepresented as, as me speaking to God, right? which is true, but again, only in part. It's me speaking to God because the Spirit is drawing me into this conversation. It's the Spirit of God who is, who is pulling this reality out of me into this relationship with God. It's God... It's God himself inviting us, inviting us into his relationship. Not only that, but he himself, Christ, is God himself. To 
think about the cross and to think about the life that Jesus lives, to think about all the things that Jesus does within his creation, within his creation, is once again hard to wrap our mind around. Christ does not just send somebody else to bring about reconciliation. He comes himself. He comes himself. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made I'm going to cheat a little bit. We're going to be looking at these next 18 verses, or these, including those three, these 18 verses for the next three weeks. And like we did with Philippians chapter 3, there's something to look forward to. As we anticipate the coming of this notable person, this notable person being Christ, as we think about, as we think about how before time began, Christ was, as we think about how he's in perfect relationship with his with the Father, and how he how he is God himself, and how he enters into creation itself, there is one very loud thing that we can never forget. All of this is because he loves you. All of this is because you turned away from him. And he loves you enough to redeem you. So as we look to the arrival of this man, Jesus, we anticipate the light that he will shine into this dark and dreary world. We can be joyful and we can praise him. Because the great God of the universe, before time began, before the creation that he created, loved you enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. Thankful that you are gracious and merciful to us. Thank you that your Son is pre existent was in perfect relationship with you. He is God. He is created. We thank you that he came into this world not as something other, but he put on flesh so that he might know us even more intimately. 
that he is our advocate, that he is our light. Most wonderfully of all, he is our Savior. It's in and through Jesus' precious name.